stacking one on top of the other for another double bill. This time the Nam Nai Choi movies are more connected as we talk of the 1989 movie The Peacock King and its sequel 1990's Saga of the Phoenix. A Japan-Hong Kong co-production based on Makoto Ojino's manga Spirit Warrior. So how does the transition to live action fare with the seventh curse and story of Ricky director heading it? We'll find out. We'll find out what we th- what we think of that. So my name is Kennedy, and with me is Hong Kong Dave and Tom KW, and this is the Director Series Six on the Podcast on Fire Network. Okay, okay, Director Series 6 indeed, we are back, the trio is back, Tom KW unfortunately missed the rough harsh times that we uh, had discussing her vengeance, so welcome back Tom to the examination. Thank you man, feels good to be back, it fits like the smelly old glove or or something like that, so it's nice, put it back on. Good (laughs) and uh, you'll, uh, you'll, uh, you'll be able to share a little bit of your thought and thoughts on on her vengeance out of the contact information uh, yep. so so that we kind of make everyone a part of the entire examination if you will mm. uh but anyway you are listening to the director series on the podcast on fire network website for this show and six others podcastonfire.com email for contact and uh comments and what have you podcast on fire at googlemail.com message forum podcastonfire.com forward slash forum you can't register at the moment uh, due to spam uh, bots uh, making our life, life difficult, but uh, you would have, have still access to the members-only archive of uh, prior episodes, uh, cut conversations and outtakes, and uh, and exclusive content as well, including for when we did our uh, big old uh, Japan benefit pod. We uh, put up three hours of extra content in the members-only uh, section there, so... You can enjoy that added content, but nowadays we're posting that added content in the form of bonus episodes on the website. Only available on podcastonfire.com, not on iTunes, nor on Stitcher, so you have to go there. And the prior director series, of course, had the bonus episode for... Uh, that uh, covered the Shaw Brothers movie Kiss of Death. Uh, Avengers was a remake of that, so me and David uh, uh, reviewed uh, that for you. And on Facebook we have uh, two endeavors mainly. Our page, facebook.com forward slash POF network. Like and leave us a comment if you like that. And uh, join the discussion going on in the discussion group. You can reach that by typing in Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search box. And uh, you can also follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash Podcast on Fire. I do writing off Nam Nai Choi movies, if you will, category three Taiwanese movies. And uh, good old horror movies from the 70s and 80s. So whatever, whatever stuff I think is cool. Uh, that is on SoGoodReviews.com. And it's also video review. That's LizzieKVideo.com. And follow me on Twitter. Twitter.com forward slash SoGoodReviews. And you can subscribe to the Podcast on Fire Network on iTunes. And uh, if you prefer to st- uh, stream it, you can do that via Stitcher application that you can download to your computer or to your smartphone or tablet. 
And uh, in general, what is Hong Kong Gear Guide on Facebook? Hong Kong Dave. Yeah, uh, well, by the time people are listening to this, uh, there'll be some tales of my uh, trip to Hong Kong up there, sort of uh, concert reviews and uh, movie-related bits on my uh, on my um, personal page as well. So that'll be fun. All right. Well. Hopefully. And, uh, <laughs> and the passion is still there. You're going to... Keep, yeah, yeah, uh, still good. keep on rolling to support uh, support acts out of Hong yeah, Kong. Yeah, still enjoying it. Yeah, and yeah. Um, um, I've been in contact with uh, a band out there, and we're kind of uh, going to be putting a show together while I'm uh, while I'm out there. So, right on, nice. Cool. So, so you're going to play the triangle? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sounds good. And of course, as you know by now, Tom has a review archive on vcinemashow.com. That's where it can be found. And if you can't be bothered to search for it yourself, we have linked to to uh, the search string there, which means you can find uh, Tom all of Tom's reviews by going to the show post of this episode and uh, check that out. Yep. Uh, he and like a. Uh, uh, truckload of writers over there and uh, that makes V Cinema Show really versatile and and, and, and you're a part of that as well. Yep. Not to be taken lightly. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay, I know I'm worthless but uh, okay, thanks. Okay, <laughs> okay good. <laughs> anyway, uh, over to you again Tom, we have some questions and uh, discussion points before we launch into the background here, yep. extend on the background. As we said, you weren't here to uh, discuss uh, her vengeance for uh, for whatever reason. I think the reason was life, which is yep, kind of getting away a bit. Which is cool. Does, yep, it does sometimes. <laughs> uh, but uh, you you had a chance to watch uh, uh, at least uh, one of the cuts of her vengeance, or did you watch both of the cuts? Okay, I did see the cut three version. I haven't right seen either of the other versions yet, so I think I'll reserve my in depth feelings till I've seen both of those. Right on. Uh, but. Nam no choice best film so far for me. Mm-hmm. I personally say I think I mean I'm yet to see a right ghost story, but we, I've seen the films that are coming it, up. It, it, it's not as good necessarily. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, mean, I, might, I might love it, Ken. So I think that's plenty of tits and fucking, but it's not her vengeance. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of guess from the title, but yeah, that that film aside, I think it is most realised and, and fleshed out story and strongest in terms of kind of emotional core. I think it's maybe only one of the films for me personally that kind of struck kind of with me and gripped me and kind of made me, you know, feel a lot of a whole range of emotions throughout mm. the film. So it definitely strikes me as possibly his best effort. But I mean obviously I'll uh, I'll confirm that hopefully on the on, on our last show. Yeah and uh, I mean uh, it's uh, it's not necessary to watch the other cut which is really weak. To be honest, mm. uh, even though it's extended here and there, but lacking so much of the violence, you know, a rape scene in her then just in the category two cut, it's nothing. It's absolutely mm. almost shortened to be to a point where it, it's it's not anything anymore, you know. And uh, and uh, not that it's pleasant to watch it, obviously. It's pivotal, though. Yeah, it's it's, 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 uh, it's pivotal is the word. But it's pivotal, yeah. Yeah. Absolute, and the extended stuff in the laserdisc version is probably what got to me. I didn't know. Uh, I mean, uh, not that I support the censor cut, but I realized why they needed to cut some bits there with, uh, you know, this forced oral sex that they cut from the Category Three version. That's in the extended laserdisc version, the the unsubbed version. It's just heinous stuff, really heinous stuff. Uh, so, and pivotal. You know, revenge should be hard and bloody, and uh, boy, yep. is it ever. Yep. Definitely. And, not, and not a single laugh as such in that movie, you know. 
No, yeah. maybe that's that, maybe that's why it's best because it, it's just straight down the middle, like no fucking around with that film at all. I mean, it's just from start to finish, just uh, emotionally kind of shredding. So yeah, I, d- I definitely think it's his, his strongest film so far. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and uh, we are as, as we said, we are coming to Peacock King and Saga of the Phoenix uh, adaptations of um, of manga uh, and anime. And uh, on that note, before we provide a background, I, I guess. An initial question and discussion really needs to be brought forth, especially since you are in the UK, kind of a thriving market and a big market, at least was. I don't know how it is yeah. now. Still big, yeah. I'd say still big, yeah. It is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, I'd say And therefore, how's your exposure, guys, been to anime and are, are you a fan? So if we start with you, David. Um, exposure is not you know not so uh not so great i mean i've seen seen some of them i've only only really got the one uh myself uh, the death note series mm-hmm. of, uh, uh, anime but yeah you know, i only got i got those because i liked the movie so it wasn't like the other way around so but um uh yeah and I, I, but I not so the... much uh back in the day you know in the no. 90s for instance when there were tons of vhs releases you know guy the crime free man or tsukudori legend of the ovfian then akira and what have you no, it's, it's never something I've I've uh, sought out that much. I mean, I've I've seen a few of the some, uh, kind of recent uh, releases, you know, because now with uh, things like Love Film, it's a lot more, you know, these kinds of things are a lot more accessible. If you don't necessarily want to buy them, you can rent them and mm-hmm. and, and check them out that way. So I've seen more. I've been, you know, I've been renting more, and but it's you know still not something I know too much about. You know, I, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you an awful lot. Yeah. Right. And and therefore, well, well seeing as uh, you have kids, uh, Studio Ghibli stuff, I mean, Spirited Away, oh, House Movie Castle. Yeah, stuff like yeah, that. I hadn't I, I, uh, considered that uh, kind of side of things. Mm-hmm. I was thinking more of, uh, you know, more sort of the, kind the, of the, ad- the, the adult stuff. Yes, the slightly more adult stuff. But yeah, I mean, um, actually, they're probably the Ghibli stuff I've been, uh, been watching for, for years. Like, um, I remember um, when my kids were younger, the first, uh, I think probably the first Ghibli I ever watched was got a US uh, VHS of uh, uh, my neighbour Totoro. So, mm-hmm. and you know, and um, that was just you know, I mean, for me and for them, he just kind of sitting there, kind of watching this thing with kind of like mouth open because it's the <laughs> first because it's so um, you know, having smaller kids in it, we watch tons of like Disney kind of crap. So yeah, um, but you know. For all of us, kind of seeing this kind of thing, kind of for the first time, you know, and just how different it was, and, the, and the, how you know the approach was just, you know, uh, just you know, just wildly, wildly different. And, and but, the imagination um, is yeah, something it's, else. Yeah, it's on, it's on a whole other level. It kind of takes you to places, uh, you know, emotionally that you know other sort of animations just don't don't go to. Mm-hmm. And um, I think. Uh, and of course, um, you know the Oscar-winning uh, *Spirit of the Way* was, uh, you know, that's just that's a flat-out, you know, phenomenal sort of film. You can't, you, you know, you could even just say that's a great film, not just it's a great animation. Still, a movie I need to rewatch because it was the mm. first Ghibli movie, and I was not prepared for uh, its fantasy elements and and the fact that you have monsters that kind of are scary but are not yeah. scary in that kind of world. I, was, I don't think I was prepared for it. I have loved essentially every Ghibli movie since then. 
house moving cars or yeah. uh, kickers delivery service Laputa cars in the sky uh, Ponyo was okay I wasn't wild about it as such but yeah. it, was, it was still still okay absolutely okay and okay. Uh, I mean I mean I did get to see uh, Spirit of the Way on the on the big screen so that was uh, uh-huh. uh, that was uh, fun but um, yeah it's just um, yeah just it, it's there's just actually you know just oh, just fantastically creative. It's just, mm-hmm. yeah. and same can be said for sort of some of the uh, more adult stuff that came. You know, just in like a you know a freight train that just flooded UK market, especially in the nineties. And I'm guessing you, Tom, remember that a little bit more. You know, uh, you know at least you picked up on the fact that Akira and like Ghost in the Shell are like big players uh, on the market or how yeah. was your experience really yeah I mean I, I was quite a big fan and, and watch I mean this is when I was in the 90s kind of when I was kind of growing up first kind of just getting into film in general I was, I was quite a big fan and watched literally anything that was anime uh, when I was younger and anything to get my hands on and the manga video label played a, a big part in just my love of Asian cinema in general um, just seeing you know Yosuke Doji, like when I was, oh god, must be like 13, 14, snuck wow. it in at my friend's house, and it just fucking blew me away. And it was just, it was one of the one of the earliest experiences I remember seeing a film. It genuinely just shocking me as to what the hell. I mean, it was cut to shreds in the UK. I mean, it, it was still just out there. Still, I remember like the opening crazy. had uh, on screen. Uh, you know, you, you saw sperm on screen. You know, what is yeah. this? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, just as I've got older and my tastes have kind of diverted in different ways, I, I still have a handful of films and series I, I love and will always love, and I'm not against, you know, experiencing new anime or older stuff if it, if it uh, you know, I haven't seen. Um, but as an older person, I now see common trends and stereotypes within anime that seem charming to me when I was 13, 14, but now mostly annoys me. And I'm not speaking for all anime, but a lot of modern stuff kind of, there's not a lot of stuff that comes out that kind of interests me as much as it did back in the day mm-hmm. when you see kind of like the VHS covers and you go you know that looks, that looks really cool or you know now it doesn't I don't know where that's just getting older or, or what it is or whether it's just the marketing but not a lot of stuff has shot out of me in the past few years thinking that oh yeah this this looks good but as David said yeah you know Studio Ghibli has become a big part of my film watching with you know the missus and the family and it's 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 definitely kind of a studio I think anyone who wants to get into anime mm-hmm. should should seek out yeah Definitely. It's a good way, and I guess, uh, I mean, it's easily digestible. It's not culturally different as such, you know. The the cultural difference is that it's a lot better than animation in the West. (laughs) Well, yeah, and it it doesn't, doesn't, as I said, it doesn't kind of adhere to those, you know, Japanese trends. I'm not trying to make a generalization, but, you know, just the kind of the big eyes and and the kind of the cutesiness and the, the physical comedy, it doesn't kind of go along those lines with a lot of that it's more kind of in tones of you know a cinematic, cinematic ex- experience as opposed to yeah. you know a 90 minute animation which which to me kind of is the, the studio that as I've got older I've kind of latched onto and, and just yeah fall in love with a lot of the films there's a handful of them just I you know genuinely just love it as, as, as films in general and you know if I was to make a list of top films that they'd be in there because there was really you know amazing stuff in there yeah. we could go I mean, on for days about it <laughs> yeah I mean um the thing that struck me straight away was um, just um, the emotional kind of uh, the stories it would tell. It would tell you it didn't follow the same. Uh, it, it didn't just look different. Uh, you know the stories and where and where they uh, 
and you know where they took uh, you know where they took the audience where they took the characters was you know it was very it's very uh, diff- different approach to uh, you know sort of western animation and it's not it's it's more daring but it doesn't it doesn't go like too far it's not like you know you know, I'm talking, you know, like extreme stuff, but it, the sort of Ghibli uh, thing. But it it takes, it gives the audience, I think, more uh, credit. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, f- yeah, for, for having, you know, for having some intelligence. intelligence. It, it it gives it some, uh, you know, there's depth to the story. You know, it's not afraid to, you know, like I mean, like in, in like in Totoro, you know, there's, it's the mo- the mother's ill and she's in hospital, and you know, it doesn't, you know, it's not scared of going to not to sort of, you know potentially kind of touchy areas you know yeah we'll uh we, we have an ongoing uh, discussion going on over at japan on fire we have an ongoing uh, a ghibli season that we will resume but uh, we obviously are doing mamoru oshi coverage now where we we uh, at the time of recording like a week ago we released an episode that covered his mo- movie pat labor you know and that's you know really challenging stuff Mm. Uh, which I like about the anime as well. Uh, it's an animation, but it's uh, you know it's really it, it's adult because it's uh, intelligent and challenging. Not that yeah. I require intelligence. Hello, I'm the host of this weekend's please for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 uh, but that was what struck me about the anime when first being exposed. So I think the first one I saw was Akira, and, and it was you know not that I know what it's about really, but man, it's a, an experience. It goes go, goes yeah. on and on and on and more messed up and more messed up and just epic. And that you can animate all that stuff is just, you know, that blew me away. And uh, good luck remaking that in live action. (laughs) (laughs) Just like you can't remake Paprika, which is uh, just too messed up for live action. You shouldn't shouldn't attempt to connect any live action to a brand name Akira. No, that's all it is as well. Yeah, I mean, something's just just not going to work at all. Mm. Uh, but anyway we'll move on to the um to kind of the 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 anime manga connected to the peacock king and saga of the phoenix and and uh, they are both based on the manga spirit warrior by makoto ojino that saw light and day in 1985 and has since across its various runs last ending in 2009 reached 40 volumes Two OVAs, original video animations, have also been produced in 1988 and 1994, running three and two episodes respectively. They're, they are kind of long though, so it's not uh, 20 minutes, uh, 20 minutes bite-sized little, little uh, animes. Uh, it has spawned Famicom video games, Peacock King 1 and 2, and surprisingly, both of them were kind of these point-and-click adventure games uh, that were popular at the time. It also had Sega Master System and Mega Drive releases, Peacock King and Peacock King 2 Castle of Illusion. The latter is retitled in Western Market to... Uh, rather, sorry. They're, those two are retitled in Western Market to Spellcaster and Mystic Defender, respectively. So, um, uh, yeah, I guess that works <laughs> better in Western, <laughs> because it's not an established uh, franchise, if you will, so... I saw the first episode and like half of the second episode of the OVA. Looks fantastic and is pretty violent. And when it launches into, you know, monster action and spell action, it is really well made. Uh, I personally couldn't follow it, though. And that that's not a knock on the storytelling. It's I, I don't think I was kind of the demo for, for it as such. It was kind of meaty. 
and lots of characters to keep track of and maybe i'll return to it one day but uh, and i didn't turn it off in anger or anything i just realized i'm just watching it for the pretty images and i don't really have time for it right now but i admired what was there the darkness that was there i mean they even channel you know in the first two episodes anyway uh, some of the villains are neo-nazis uh, who wants to uh, get their hands on the dragon or the kind of a magical item that is not in uh, in the movies as such and uh, and it's talk that this talks of you know that hitler was into black magic but never you know got to uh, you know got to know where the dragon orb was or anything like that and so, he had uh, one ball as well just to see you know yeah and tom interjects <laughs> intelligence that's for you sure hey one boy hello is this on <laughs> so uh but, but but it's available out there central park media put it out in uh, in america subtitled and i think there's even a, a japanese language director's commentary on that so uh so they put some work into those releases so 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 go, go after them if you're curious uh, to see the comparisons to the live action if you will and, and and that's all i wanted to see to get a feeling of how it compares to the live action the movies are way more simplified but not in a bad way as will um for, for my money's worth, as we'll get to. Uh, I watched the uh, Yumbu interview that is on the Hong Kong Legends DVD of uh, Peacock King. They did a little interview. And uh, and in reference to most of the first movie, he, he speaks of uh, the popularity of Hong Kong films and, and actors uh, uh, in uh, in Japan. You know, actors like him and Jackie Chan really, you know, were actors that... Uh, uh, the Japanese audience responded well to they could have their movies uh, premiered on a wide scale compared to other big Hong Kong stars they you know giant fat movies as I said would play on like two or three screens in Japan it wasn't necessarily the audience uh, but Jack Chan and Yoon Byu were were popular and became popular uh, in Japan and uh, obviously the, the action comedy mix is uh, is something that is universal and uh, I'm, I'm not surprised it played well with uh, Japanese audience and uh, this was as we said a Japanese Hong Kong to- uh, co-production I think Toho was the main uh, main investor from the Japanese side and uh, they were said to be more the, more of the decision makers uh, rather than the Hong Kong side but they even began seeing that their chosen lead uh, next to Yun Byu which is uh, lead uh, uh, Mikami Hiroshi wasn't really a good fit for the production the movie uh, and they gradually reduced his role in favor of Yoon Byu's uh, rather than really doing a like a 50 50 thing and uh, Yoon Byu says that on set uh, Mikami even distanced himself from actors and uh, refused to ride in the same cars as other actors even Japanese actors and they you know based on that story seemed to have an attitude problem <laughs> uh, so you know and, and and not the most memorable thing out of the movie, uh, to be honest. It was not like, wow, I can see charisma here. Where did he go? <laughs> it, it was kind of like, he's in there, but yeah, right, whatever, you know. Yeah. Uh, Gloria Yip, who plays Ashura, was image cast, really. And the Japanese side and subsequently audiences really responded to Gloria Yip. Uh, mainly, you know, as an image, you know, she was really cute beautiful of course and uh and she gained noteworthy popularity over in japan as uh, tom will talk of uh, uh later on and uh, as yumbu said you know more so than the likes of maggie jung anita moy etc and uh, gloria you really you know really uh ha- had uh had something to offer the japanese market uh, and uh, i think she was a singer as well so 
could uh, work in multimedia, if you will. Uh, the Peacock King was a big move in Japan, large release and all of that. Received more of a lukewarm reception in Hong Kong and was considered more adult and too scary for kids. I mean, it has uh, probably a Cat 2 A or B rating. Um, and uh, compared to Japan, though, this was considered more family friendly. The kids weren't scared by sort of the monstrous sights presented here because I think they were kind of used to it via the uh, manga and anime. And uh, even, you know, limp eating via Pauly Wong was probably not considered super super scary in Japan um, so that's that's uh, pretty much it on, in terms of the background so well let's talk of uh, one of the main cast members as we mentioned and it's uh, from the Hong Kong side and it's Yun Biu and uh, it's uh, Tom that has done some work on, on this uh, this uh, kind of uh, uh, indie actor that no one has heard of <laughs> so, <laughs> so go ahead okay so Yun Bo Biu Bao However you want to pronounce it. Bill, keep... Bill Yun. He said his name was a guy at one point, uh, Bill. <laughs> uh, I'll keep you consistent with Ken Save you. Uh, so I'll keep chopping and changing on the show. But yeah, okay, so as to not retread ground already covered many times before, and not to bore our listeners with a, with a hefty piece of information they probably will already know, uh, we, we all love the guy. We all know he's awesome. Um, but I just thought I'd quickly sum up Yumbo's... Yumbo... Yumbo... <laughs> <laughs> This bio and rather concentrate on things you may not know and my personal opinion of the man, uh, which I'm sure we'll all do. Um, but born July 26, 1957, the fifth child of eight, at age six was enrolled into Peking Opera School alongside the other seven little fortunes, who I'm sure we all know, Yun Byu, Jackie Chan, Sam Hung, Corey Yun, Yun Wa, Yun Tak and Yun Mo. Uh, arguably the most acrobatic of the brothers, he began working in the early 70s as a stuntman, extra most notably Bruce Lee's Double Dance of Dragon and Game of Death. Uh, from there, history was made. Yun Bu made his mark heavily on, on classic Hong Kong cinema throughout the golden era, a lot of the time working in cohesion with Brother Samo and as many a classic under his belt. And I think it's safe to say he gets a lot of love from us guys in the show and many of our community, even though he doesn't get big Western following. Um, but within, yeah, people who are kind of into the genre, he's, uh, he's well known. Now, push that aside... From doing some nosing around, um, I managed to stumble upon what appears to be an interview translated from Japanese on an older tripod website. Uh, I don't know whether any of you guys have heard this or, or read it before, but it's called the Yunbu mailing list homepage. Um, I mean, it's commonly known, as we're going to probably get into, Yunbu is bigger in Japan than anywhere else. He's even released some albums there. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. uh, so, so I'm guessing this is possibly from a teen magazine or something like it, as it reads like the type of stuff you'd see in Smash Hits or, or something like that. So from here, I've managed to discover, uh, but do take these facts with a grain of salt, as I couldn't find credit to the actual interview conductee or where this interview came from. And also from just a few things mentioned, I get the sense it dates back to the early 80s. Specifically, I think he was either working on or was promoting the champions, as he mentions it. So it's probably from around 1983 or something like that. Yeah, so, um, okay. I mean, he didn't know that Yunbu's blood type is O. His worst oh. school was history. He loves playing pool, running, and sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, and orange juice, hopefully not at the same time. He loves action movies and thinks Rambo First Blood is off the hook. His favourite numbers are 2, 3, 6, and 8 for some reason. He loves disco music and Paul McCartney, and his favourite song is I Just Called Say I Love You by Stevie Wonder. His favourite religion is Buddhism. His favourite small animal is a dog, whereas his big favourite animal, like his big one, is a black panther. 
Uh, he likes or liked with some cigarettes. He fucking loves oranges as it's his favourite fruit. <laughs> so, weird one here. The longest letter he ever wrote was 50 pages long. Um, don't know who that was to. I actually don't know what a letter is, unfortunately, as a group in the 90s. Don't know what that is. <laughs> a Mercedes back then. So, fuck you, mom. Being a stuntman does pay. Uh, the longest he ever slept was 38 hours. And the highest heels wow. he ever wore were half an inch. I have no idea what that means or why he was wearing heels. I don't know. Uh, and I know you've all been waiting for this one. Ken, seriously, how long do you think was the longest time you and you ever spent in a car? Drop it on me now. What, what do you think? Oh, what? I've been waiting for this moment. Like... <laughs> What do you think? <laughs> for, for, for ten days. <laughs> ten days. David, just tell me now, what do you think? Yeah, a couple of days. 30 hours. So, David's crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah, about, that, about that, about that. Uh, and he was in Africa. So, that's a game changer. I see him entirely in a new light now. Uh, <laughs> after that. So, yeah, 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 okay. You know, for me personally, um, I don't feel he's particularly underrated within our community or to fans of Hong Kong cinema, but... To Western eye, I said he probably still is lesser known in comparison to Jackie or Samo. Yeah. Which is a, which is a shame, as, he, as he's made some phenomenal breakouts in solo performances uh, yeah. and backed with Jackie and Sam as well. So, you know, I always hope that whenever, you know, people, you know, Western kind of viewers see Jackie or Samo films, that, you know, he's there mostly, you know, with Samo films. But I think most Samo's, you know, big, big classics. He's there as a sporting character, so I hope from there a lot of people are, you know, who's this guy? I want to check out his solo stuff, and I'm just hoping that's kind of the trend and, 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 and how it happens, because is that what happened to me? And, and I'm guessing from you guys, or...? That's kind of how I did it, you know, I saw the sort of, you know, the Three Brothers kind of movies first, and thought, you know, hey, you know, this guy can really, uh, this guy can really move, he's got great sort of personality and all this stuff, stuff. so I kind of went from those films to, like, you know, like Prodigal Son, like, um, oh, Jesus, no, was it Knockabout? Yeah, Knockabout, knock yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, is it, is it Dreadnought as well, I think? Yeah, yeah. Basically. Yeah, so, you know, I kind of went from the, you know, the, you know, Dragons Forever and Project A, I went out into those, and yeah, you know, I've, uh, I've become, you know, sort of a huge fan, and definitely, uh, you know, by a more general audience, it's definitely uh, underestimated, but, you know, like you're saying, uh, you know, real... You know, people who really kind of know their stuff um, know that he's, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's a sort of a bit of a legend, bit of a legend. Oh, definitely. Mm. I don't know how, you know, I, I definitely didn't go via the exposure in the Free Brothers movies because I saw those very late. So, so, so probably one of the earliest experiences, probably Prodigal Son, watching that on Made in Hong Kong UK VHS back in the day. And, uh, but, 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 you know, I, I'm a big fan of Hong Kong action cinema, but I don't go all weak need for anything, Jackie Chan, Samo, despite fantastic works, you know, I, I get kicks from them, but I don't, you know, go all, you know, gaga for them as such and watch them 20 times on a loop or anything, they're great <laughs> movies, but I I find that stuff in other places, you know, Taiwanese movies currently is that way for me, I can watch them on a loop. Uh, so I'm kind of a casual fan of Jackie Chan and Sammo Hong compared to others, I think. But Yoon Bu's fandom, uh, you know, out there always made me happy and happy to be part of as he gradually and kind of in an underground way compared to his brothers, you know, earned his reputation over a little longer period of time uh, through 
uh, through darker material, I should say. But yes. uh, again, obviously physically gifted, uh, you know, fighting ability through the roof and all of that. But it's still Yumbu the actor that I like the most. And, and there's so many, I'll mention a few, unfairly talked of movies that I pursue more often. And uh, it, obviously starting with The Champions, which is not an acting movie per se, but such a wonderful soccer comedy uh, with uh, Yumbu Ping style action choreography relating to related to soccer and uh, he actually does sing the english theme for that one which is great uh it's a uh, yumbu singing that uh, maybe in chinese as well but uh, definitely in english uh, but, but writing wrongs obviously is a is such a great showcase for uh you know it's a vigilante thriller it has great action as well but it never forget it's dark and boy yeah. is it ever i mean uh punishing should be you know a, a word connected to that and yet it doesn't compare at all to when you watch uh, on the run oh yeah which, which is you know has a little bit of action some cool stunt but it is is a thriller and a dark ass violent one at that and it it, it remains you know yumbio's best acting performance uh, Acting alongside Pata, uh, the the killer of his wife that he has to team up with, you know, that's a great little you know setup. Uh, that is not a spoiler that happens within the first five minutes. You know, Pata just walks in and wastes her, and and it's not nice and it's not pretty at all. And uh, Alfred Chung, out of all people, directed that. Yeah. So, uh, and, and later on, there, there, there's some great stuff now that he's in his slightly elder years. I mean, uh, I loved him in No Problem 2, the Japanese Hong Kong uh, action comedy. Very funny. Very physical, too. And, uh, and uh, also character acting in, the, in uh, later years. Mainly I saw him in Herman Yao's Laughing Go Turning Point, where he plays a cop. And as a very memorable one-on-one, where he's in the hospital, Yun Bu, he's been injured, and... Alfred, uh, sorry, Anthony wants to sit by the bed and they have this, you know, veteran exchange. And it's no stretch to see Yumbu being an actor. You can separate him from, you know, the bouncy action performer easily. You, you could have back then in the 80s as well, you know, on the run is, is in his prime, you know, all of that. And, uh, but, but if anything stands out, though, going back to my, my, probably my favorite performance by him. And it's from my favorite Three Brothers movie. Um... Actually, I don't think it, I, I'm no, no. Project A is probably my favorite Free Brothers movie, but my favorite performance is by Yumbu in Dragons Forever. <laughs> I, I didn't know beforehand. I knew they were all in it. It has hard action. It's a comedy and all that. I didn't know of his character at all, and I was so delighted to see that he's absolutely crazy in this movie. <laughs> it, it, no, you know, nothing up there is working as it should. <laughs> and I was so delightful. Um, and uh, yeah, the psychiatrist scenes with Stanley Fung in there. Where I, I mean, it's just a delightful comedic turn, and that's what I take away mostly from Dragons Forever. Amidst its many highlights, that was what stayed with me. Yun Bu stayed with me, and uh, I guess that says a lot about my fandom for for him directed towards him. Well, yeah, I mean, I'd also like to shed light on the remake of uh, Box from Shantung, Hero, from 1997, which, I don't know whether you guys have seen it, directed, yeah. directed by Corey Yen, I think, I think it was, but it got yeah. a UK release, strangely enough. 
Um, but I saw that a few years ago and thought it was pretty underrated. He, he gives a good performance in it. Uh, it was a couple of years ago since I last seen it, but I thought that was a good later day performance by him, um, which was always good. And yeah, Robbie Hood, he's kind of fun in it as well. <laughs> oh, was he in it substantially? Or? He was, he's the inspector in it. He kind of pops up here and there, but he's he's, he's quite funny in it. It was just nice to see him and uh, Jackie on the screen again. It's close to probably going to get to a reunion, so I took it for what it was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, now Jackie's retiring anyway, so... And and I always said like, well, yeah, well, he he said it anyway. But I always said like, don't, you know, don't keep your hopes up for like a a reunion of the three brothers like uh, it was because no, it's, it's they're not. pushing sixty people. Some of them probably past sixty, so uh, some were definitely so. Yeah, uh, so um, uh, I'd rather go back to Dragons Forever, watch Dragons Forever, and just marvel at the absolute nut job that Yumbu plays, and, <laughs> and and his wonderful uh, fish tank that isn't a tank really. His goldfish is swimming in in this like obstacle uh, course, and there's two yeah, all over his apartment. It's all the pipes and stuff. Isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a why not thing because he's crazy. <laughs> That's what he does to his goldfish. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, go back to that. Um, but, okay, if uh, we, we're done with Yumbio thing for now, so let's move on to the Peacock King and a little bit of plot written by our friend uh, Josh over at VariedCelluloid.net. After our decadence here on Earth has gotten the best of us, the gates to the underworld opens up. Uh, uh, open up in Asia, unleashing the Hell Virgin, played by Gloria Yip. And, and Hell Virgin, the character kind of has a heart of gold, despite being a key for evil to enter this world. You know, she uh, that's kind of the setup for her. And the uh, it opens up, and the inevitable inevitable return of the Hell King on the ill-prepared subjects of our realm. Uh, leaving only two defenders who have the magic to do anything about it. Lucky Fruit, played again by Mikami Hiroshi, and Peacock, played by Yumbu, two Buddhist, Buddhist monks who will do what it takes to stop these demons. Lucky Fruit is a very s- serious Japanese young man who has been sent by his master to put an end to this uh, scourge on, the huma- on humanity. Sorry about that. With similar orders. Uh, uh, Peacock, who is Chinese but doesn't take things as serious, he looks to do the same thing. His master is Eddie Coe, by the way. Uh, when the old couple get together, they make the perfect combination to put an end to this. But will they be able to stop Hell King, or will they uh, let their uh, own differences get in the way of forming the perfect combination to help put an end to all this? The perfect magic, if you will. So uh, that's an uh, involved plot for a rather simple movie. Um, so let's go around the table. In short, first, David, what did you think of the Peacock King by Nam Night Choi? We, we, we you, listeners might have forgotten that this is still a Nam Night Choi podcast. <laughs> so, so, so in short, what did you think? Yeah, uh, it's good fun. Uh, even if the uh, sort of familiar kind of genre, kind of buffet approach of having lots of bits of different uh, kinds of uh, you know films going on, um, that was so much a part of sort of. Uh, a lot of films of, of that era, um, and it doesn't, in this case at least, I think, serve the material that well. But it's, it's still good fun. Yeah, short good fun. And my brief opinion, it's in, it's impressive scale-wise. You know, we get an opening with the, uh, you know, 
uh, Ashura throws, you know, fireballs that blows up physical cars. You know, there's a mixture of superimposed and, and physical effects, and uh, and even uh, looks like CG effects uh, to an extent, almost CG. And it's 80 minutes, kind of grand scale, global epic, almost takes place in Tibet, Japan, and Hong Kong. It's a nice opening to an on and off film. Is my first brief opinion. So moving over to you, Tom. What, what did you think in short? Yeah, it's 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 standard kind of fish out of water stuff, which Yumbu was doing a lot during his career now, like late eighties, early nineties. I think he, he played the role a couple of times. This kind of kind of you know kind of country bumpkin in in the big city, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's peppered with some of the usual kind of cheap and cheerful but fun, really fun kind of creativity. And I'm not sure his films of this period boast. Uh, with a laid-back performance from Yumbu, I think it, it misses out on using a lot of his physicality and his acrobatic strengths. And I, I kind of sadly feel it could have been anyone in the role of Peacock. Although I feel mm-hmm. it's enjoyable. Like he, he does a, puts in a, a nice performance, an enjoyable performance. But there's nothing that makes me feel this role could have, you know, only been portrayed by him. Aside from a handful of, of minuscule moments throughout the film. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah. And uh, and pre-knowledge of the manga and anime actually is not required, as far as I'm concerned. As it's really simplified, which might not uh, please fans as such, but I think it's a choice because you know you have to introduce new audiences. They're not going for a two-hour epic or anything like that, you know. So it's a basic, uh, basically, you know, establishing Yumbu and Mikami Hiroshi's uh, different characters, uh, different monk characters, and there's some, you know, some minor setup. You know, it's evil versus good. That's the essentially the brief uh, the brief setup and it's pros- you know it, w- it was probably a good idea to simplify the general conflict and characters uh, so an event like this can be taken in by um, by all rather than just the manga and anime enth- enthusiasts so uh, and 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 it said that although i didn't get this because it didn't play well with me the the, the anime and manga that that it was quite an examination and take on the occult, so it uh, attempted a lot more. This chose to not do that. Uh, it had you know Japanese investors; they were probably on it to say like, okay, let, let's we have it. Let's simplify it for general audiences. It's just, and, and it's not a bad thing. It's just that the movie is kind of on and off uh, for me. When it works, essentially, as I'll talk a little bit more about, it's when the energy is up and the effects are going on and all of that. Yeah. that, that yeah. That's when it's on. It's not when it's off. It's not insulting or anything, but it's definitely downtime compared to the energetic stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, have you seen some of the effects work here? Do you have anything in general, guys, to say? What do you think of the kind of step up in effects here? Because we're talking high budget here. There's some new. Mm-hmm stuff here mainly stop motion animation as employed by none my joy I, I, I like a lot of the i think the effects you know, look look better uh they look a bit more kind of streamlined a bit more slicker than they do previously uh still the kind of same level as fun i like a lot of the kind of claymation moments in the film even though i feel at times they're not particularly needed and a bit skit like so just obviously near the beginning with the little creatures trying to escape the dog it's, it's, it's kind yeah, of fun, yeah. You, kind you of encounter fun. them on the street, you know, yeah. and like, uh, little gremlins, little uh, ghosts that in, uh, a, in a burger box. <laughs> and, um, and one of them has a fucking huge testicle as well. <laughs> <laughs> Drags on the street. That's what I noticed. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of fun and, and creative, but 
you know, necessary, not really. It doesn't really add a lot and kind of almost slows down the intro to uh, Yumbu's character, which is fucking awesome, though, when he tears through that giant monster hand like a cyclone. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's really badass, uh, his entrance to the film. Um, but yeah, I think it was a bit better, and, and the ending as well, kind of, I think it, the budget serves it well. I think maybe in another film by the director it would have looked a bit sloppy, but I think because of the higher budget, I think he can pull off hmm. more grandiose effects. And he's been doing this. I think it's a reason why Nam Nai Cho was chosen for this because, you know, you, you bring in someone that has uh, worked with effects before to an extent, uh, extent. Seventh Curse being like a prime example. Uh, and, uh, yeah. you know, rel- uh, reliability, I think, is one thing. And, uh, yeah, it could be reliable as a narrative director, of course, but I think they knew of, and I'm glad that they probably knew of, that we have a guy that has experience with uh, working with effects and the steering and effects crew and all of that so let, mm. let's bring him in, bring him in I'm, I'm, I'm convinced there must have been a reputation uh, out there for Nam Nai Choi based on uh, you know for instance Seventh Curse uh, and uh, they didn't bring him on just because he made her vengeance necessarily you know uh, way different movie in terms of effects obviously so yes well I think it helped obviously it's the same producer isn't it as Seventh Curse. And... I think so. Chua Lam has been uh, on uh, several uh, of Number yeah. Choice uh, movies. Uh, you're right, uh, starting with Seventh Curse, really. Then yep. Killer, Killer's Nocturne, even Her Vengeance. So uh, it's a, a liable producer to have on yep. who knew and has, you know, worked close to Nam Nai Choi and therefore could vouch for him probably yep. to, to, to get a. Yeah. Uh, yeah, to right. to get maybe you know maybe the aim was too that we we can sell this internationally we we can uh, break through internationally did it really happen the peacocking is not really known uh, it was you know but but obviously that focus could have been their main focus was probably Japan I would say yeah uh, so so do do you have any notes about uh, if you thought it was a step up effects wise compared to other Namai Choi movies David. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the effects are definitely on a on a on a different level, um, but I'm kind of of the same kind of mind, really. That I don't know that they you know, necessarily do too much uh, for the film. I mean, that's the one. Some of the great effects in you know some of his, his earlier films that we've you know we've spoken about. Um, he's able to do quite a, you know a considerable amount with very little, and um, you know so you could definitely. You know, he's great at handling them, and, and uh, it does another, you know, it does another great job of them here. But there's, mm. you know, there's there are other kind of issues with the with the film that kind of end up bringing it down a little. Yeah, yeah. For instance, the conflicting monks, if you will, they're, they're when when essentially they are, you know, one of the key scenes of the conflict is not really ex- inspiring as such. You know, when they go to the disco. You know, <laughs> l- you know, l- you know, one, lucky though. fruit is like kind of a stoic and serious, and peacock king, you know, is uh, peacock is enjoying himself, and you know, I it's it's the downtime of the movie that I thought, despite being a short movie, was not particularly, you know, funny as such, and uh, yeah, and, and and the fish out of water stuff didn't really do anything for me. It's just uh, standard, yeah, it's just yeah, standard stuff. I do like the opposing behavior from the two monks, as you said, like. Mikami Roshi's character is more reserved and quiet while, you know, Peacock obviously embraces modern culture by, you know, wearing sunglasses to a nightclub then busting yeah. some sweet moves on the dance floor. You know, he, <laughs> yeah. he, knows, he knows what he's doing. But the main, the main problem, 
I don't know whether you guys felt the same, but the major gripe I had with the film, the overall kind of gripe, was that there was a real lack of menace and a lack of feeling the characters were in any real danger. I mean, there are a few boss battles where obviously it gets a bit confrontational, but overall I felt it was more of a, a loose adventure than a real kind of high-stakes journey. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the thing that summed it up to me the most, when I, I genuinely thought that, I thought, because when Gloria Yip's character's hurt and needs to be cured, it's like... We have this emotional montage where they travel back to Tibet with a slushy song playing in the background, and it's like, what? Like, I'm supposed to invest emotionally into this? Like, a minor, tiny character that's appeared in the film here and there with almost no character fleshed out for her, and I'm supposed to give a shit she might perish and needs to be revived. Yeah. It, it doesn't work like that, and I, I, I felt that that was kind of... Um, yeah, it was just kind of... It was just like, I, I don't know where they were going with that, why her character was the main kind of influence on the last the last part of the story i don't know why that was and yeah i it kind of, that was the main kind of reason why it hurt the film for me i never at any point felt these guys are in danger shit or i was yeah. gripped or there was tension it was more just kind of like a nice playful adventure yeah some nice claymation scenes some nice kind of effect scenes and and that was it really for me yeah i mean it has uh definitely um there's a considerable amount of comedy in there and it's uh the field generally is uh, is is pretty light, and you know it's kind of at odds, kind of with a storyline. You know, the, the, you know they yeah. could have they could have made the film and they could have played it in a in a considerably kind of uh, darker way. Yeah, the OVA was gloomy as fuck. Yeah, you know, so um, so they really now you know it's uh, relentless in that regard. Uh, yeah, I mean it certainly it, to me at least doesn't. Don't necessarily feel like a a, a no choice no film like most of the time. I'd, I'd agree. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. He's, I'd, um, I'd agree. That sort of is kind of you know patented kind of. Uh, I wouldn't say you know not that all this stuff is of, of a type because it isn't, but that kind of kind of energy uh, that he brings to sort of films is kind of not there that much. Yeah, yeah it, it, I agree. It feels somewhat mild as an event film. Yeah, it's, it's boring at times, to be brutally yeah. honest. There's points where it, it, it is genuinely boring, and I found myself going, you know, is something going to happen now mm-hmm. yeah. um, throughout the film? There's um, there's a spectacularly uh, blatant uh, advert for uh, Ocean Park as well. That was. Yeah, that was that, and that, that could have been a commercial. That was just but basically, that the scene where Gloria, because she's bored, starts uh, uh, making all the carousels go really, really fast, and like fucking people are thrown out of yeah, the carousels. Yeah. Yeah. Presumably, oh, yeah, some yeah. could have been killed. And, like I'm bored. <laughs> yeah, she's a, bit, she's a bit annoying in the film. To be to be honest, I think that's why I was even more kind of aggravated with the the fact that she took took lead when she was kind of dying. It was like it's all about her when it was really like. All you've done is kind of been annoying throughout the film. I don't know why I'm supposed to be emotionally invested in you. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, Gordon Lou makes an appearance as well, which I, I yeah. completely forgot about I, 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 from the first time I've seen it. But he's terribly underused. His, his side story with trying to hunt down Peacock and, and Lucky Fruit seems tacked on. His whole motivation seems really weak. Um, yeah, he's a hell minion essentially, one of many yeah. hell, hell minions, and that's pretty much it. He's just doing it for you know the kind of the boss and it's obviously a small fight between him and, and Yumbu again yeah. not, everything it could, not everything it could have been but the choreography yeah. sound and it's it's not particularly inventive but it's solid there's some nice stunts and that which was a nice highlight for me but again he, he comes in kind of in the middle of the film and, and doesn't really add a lot and it's like crazy it's it's fucking Gordon Lou like, yeah I mean <laughs> you know. it's one of those guys always like 
uh, scene in the film, and uh, you know they've, they've got Eddie Coe in a really uh, kind of small little mm. role as well, and you know he's, he's another one of those guys, you know. So uh, they're fun to see, but you know they're so good, you want to you want to see more of them. Yep. Did you catch uh, Philip Quock and Kara Hoy's uh, brief cameos? Oh. Really brief. <laughs> in the uh, in the flashbacks to what happened to Peacock's and Lucky Fruit's parents, respectively, uh, Carol Hoy and Philip Kwok are, are on their respective oh, sides. Yeah. You know, when they're chased through something, something they're killed. Really yep. quick cameos, but uh, that's Carol Hoy and Philip Kwok uh, doing a favor. So, so, I mean, Philip Kwok was on the movie. He was one of the uh, action directors on the film, along with uh, Stephen Dunwai. Uh, so, but Carol Hoy was in there. You know, are you doing anything? During five minutes? No, I'm not. <laughs> Get <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, but it, it it when channeling its special effects selling points, it it, it works. It, it moves better, you know. Plays more like a Nam Night Choi movie. That to God, if you want to be stereotypical about it and cliche about it, that's when it feels like a Nam Night Choi movie. Even though we've established he's definitely more than that. So so you no, know, there there's uh, it, it sparks. Uh, a lot more for me not to the point where i forget the prior parts of the movie that don't but uh, you know there the, there are some cool stuff here, energetic stuff you know re- go, going for some minor bits and you know one of the more anonymous presences in the movie is unfortunately pauline wong and uh you know only has big hair and eats limbs in one scene that's pretty much it <laughs> you know there there uh, as you said tom that there's no menace to the film really and she should have represented a man as one of the like controlling powers over hell virgin you know yeah. and uh and, and 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 again the effects work are is well showcased especially like in the opening scene where where hell virgin it throws the fireball you know she you know Obviously, they've shot different plates, you know, of the actress and then of the fireball, and then, then they uh, blow up physical trucks, you know, during the beginning. That that's kind of cool stuff, you know. I like that they were kind of f- fire wrecking balls, you know, moving slow and then boom, uh, which might have been the kind of you know the uh, uh, the limited uh, the limited skill of uh, accomplishing effect the effect. But I kind of, I kind of like it, you know. And 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 again on the eating eating the limb. See, you know, they didn't forget that certainly the manga and anime had its gory moments and its freaky moments as well. And uh, uh, but but it's certainly it, it's certainly not up to any. You know, it's up to a good energetic level. You'd wish it was up to even more energetic level, so you'd forget past boring bits. You know, you'd wish it had more of a zoo, you know, uh, uh, quickness to it. You know. Speaking of Yun Bu again being part of special effects movies, going back to Sue Wars from the Magic Mountain, mm. but 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 the fight with the uh, the uh, uh, you know essentially the, the like the skeleton that uh, f- uh, mutates into like a freaky monster that uh, Yun Bu has to fight, the, you know it, it's a cool little mix there of puppets and stop motion animation when they are fighting you know in 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 the underworld in hell and all what have you it's 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 not too bad i mean i i, I like those combinations of uh, of uh, post production effects and uh, physical effects on the set and what have you but but i don't know if that, that was necessarily memorable for for anyone but me when yumbu is fighting this huge skeleton monster which i think came from pauling wong if i'm not mistaken but then again, I don't remember. <laughs> you know that she turned into that. <laughs> yeah, I think she transforms into it near the end. Yeah. There's a nice, there's, yeah, there's a nice transformation sequence near the end. But I think what puts this film ahead of 
not ahead, but kind of different from his other films. It's more kind of monster effects with this one, while the other films mostly kind of concentrate on gore effects, yeah. kind of splatter effects. Well, this one's more kind of creative with its monsters and kind of building up characters. And it, it is a shame that none of them, there's no there's no threat there to them because I think it could have been really effective because you've got this great looking monster and there's a couple of moments throughout the film with these great looking kind of character designs but yeah half human just... monster face yeah. kind of out of the thing you really, know really awesome stuff but yeah there's just there's nothing there that nothing to them no kind of wham bang to them it's it's all kind of like good to look at but you know it doesn't really fit with the story in terms of making it progress or being kind of you know connected to it really or being along for the ride it's just more kind of you know, it's nice. It feels like a travel log at times mm-hmm. to me, to be brutally honest. I mean, you go from Japan to Hong Kong to Tibet, and it just feels like you know, showing off a bit of the scenery. And it's just, it's, it's, it's just, it's slow paced, punctuated with some nice scenes for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, and uh, there's a, and, and there, there, there's just a final moment I want to mention that really puzzled me when the Hellgate is rising. They are proud of that Hellgate Rising because they make it last for like two or three minutes. And <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay, <laughs> it's rising. Probably a big Hellgate. Yep. It is a big Hellgate. A really big Hellgate. Did you guys catch kind of a too big Hellgate? <laughs> I don't like that it's this big. Did you uh, Did you guys catch the references to Jackie Chan? There's a couple. Of, I don't know where they were kind of slight digs at him or something because there's. The scene where they were cleaning up the uh, was it the skeleton, the big dinosaur, and they mentioned that he was visiting. There's another moment where she kind of mentions going to Hong Kong and seeing Jackie Chan. I don't know where there was a slight kind of joke on maybe uh, Yun Bu's part towards his brother. Did you catch that? No, not me. Um, yeah, uh, yeah I think I caught one of those. Twice. Yeah. Yeah, they say twice, and I just thought it's a bit, it's a bit odd. Like I don't know whether they're actually doing that for purpose there, or whether it's just, or maybe just I don't know, subtitle, you know, translation, something error or something. But I thought. It's a bit, bit strange. A bit strange. Um, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. I, I just want to say about the uh, the actual the Hong Kong Legends DVD came, which is what I watched. Did you watch that one? Did you? Watch uh, I, I got the Universal Hong Kong DVD. Is that, uh, no, I I did uh, see the Yun Bu interview from the Hong Kong Legends DVD, but not uh, not the feature on it. Yeah, I just I, I was just gonna say it's still quite easy to find secondhand. I think it's one of the the few kind of Hong Kong Legends discs from their initial run that's still quite he's fine because I think it was a later release yes um, it's it's adequate it's not as nifty as the other releases from the company it's one of their I'd say the later ones but I'm guessing this probably won't be high on the agenda for Cinerasia to re-release anytime soon <laughs> unfortunately yeah, as I said, the HKA one is, is, is still readily available I think second hand it's going for about a 10 or something so you know, if you're if you're big, if you're big on the big on the view, then I'd I'd, I'd recommend it. <laughs> big on the view. I don't yeah. I don't need to say anything else. That was a great way to summarise it. I mean, yeah, but yeah, to, I mean, I would only recommend this to either Nam Na Choi or you know View Completist, which I assume we you know we on the show are in both categories. That's why you know, we watched it. But I wouldn't have bothered seeing this again if it wasn't for the show. To be brutally honest, it was just kind of just. Yeah, just average. Average yeah. to the average. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. There's a few movies from Nam I want to revisit as such. You know, One Way Only is one. Uh, and, and, and this... Uh, uh, I, I would rather watch the sequel again, because I like the sequel better, as we'll talk of the, in the second half, uh, personally. It's a lot more, lot more uh, fight to it, if you will. Uh, I think we'd have on that. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I don't have anything else to, to, to add. You summed it up. Uh, do you want to add anything else, David? Uh, yeah, a 
couple of little bits. Um, going back to the uh, the Ocean Park bit, um, I thought it was funny when um, I was talking about you know all the, the holes of hell and all this sort of kind of thing. And then the, the next scene, they cut to you and you and they're standing outside the entrance to the theme park. I just thought that was a... <laughs> they, they probably didn't intend anything there. No, but it, was it doesn't sound like... <laughs> um, like the Ocean Park representative going, Hey! <laughs> but, um, I'm cool. Yeah. It's, um... Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the reputation... I mean, it's only like one, I think, one scene or, or one moment in it, but the uh, yeah, reputation of Hong Kong's taxi drivers takes another kick in. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Portrayed as kind of you know sort of con artists uh, for for like the you know hundredth time in the kind of films and that. So that was, yeah, uh, Rush Hour yeah. Two and what have you even did it. Yeah. You know, watch yourself, David. Take your bike with you. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've hardly ever used taxis out there. Actually. I always use like MTR and buses. And that. Nice. Um, oh yeah, the you know the the disco scene was uh, was pretty phenomenal as well. That was like. <laughs> That was like, like super 80s, isn't it? It was um, it's amazing. I remember <laughs> it had like almost a metal song on the soundtrack yeah. while the yeah. dancer didn't quite match the that, rhythm of that. That's that's the song she picks to uh, dance with you as well. I was like, a choice. <laughs> a bit of metalhead yeah. over here. <laughs> it, it was like, um, it's almost like, you know, like the uh, techno R scene from like the first Terminator. You know, in that it looked like super 80s. But, you yeah, know, that, that was like 83 and this is yeah. like... Eighty-nine or something. So. Yeah. But yeah, it was just one of those things. You thought, wow, this is an eighties film. <laughs> 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 but, uh, yeah, I mean, there was there was lots of positives in it, and um, you know, some of the performances are, are great, and you know, and, and you know, even, even in their little bits, Eddie Coe and Gordon Liu are, are, are great as well. Um, you know, Yumbu's sort of more than solid as, as well. So there, there are a lot of positives, um, but it does kind of feel like a case of of what might have been almost you mm. know you could have seen where they could have taken it in a kind of slightly different uh different direction and uh, on um hong kong movie database.com it lists the film as having five different cinematographers which sounds yeah. cr- crazy that's little that's little i think but bullet in the head has, has like eight Oh wow! <laughs> so, and most of them tie so <laughs> yeah I, I was kind of thinking well with that many kind of uh, different people being in neither uh, being none night sure yeah as officially no, listed no. anyway <laughs> um, too many uh, too many cooks in the kitchen almost I yeah feel. kind of I was wondering whether that yeah. might have had some effect on you know how it doesn't quite kind of kind of hang together so. only one listed for Saga of the Phoenix so they kind yeah. of got their shit together <laughs> on that one so. Uh, yeah yeah it's kind of it's ultimately you know fun but kind of light fun and like I was saying, it just feels like you, you know, you think, oh, you know, what might have been, what could have been with it. So, mm-hmm. and it kind of, you know, I mean, it's uh, it's quite un- uneven, sort of, in tone as well, and uh, which kind of br- brings it down a bit, and you know, makes it kind of a, a minor kind of entry in uh, in Memory uh, Choice filmography for me. Oh, definitely, definitely. Alrighty, that's done with the Peacock, that's us done with the Peacock King, and there we are after musical break, moving on to its sequel, Saga of the Phoenix. So, stick with us, and we'll be right back after that.
Welcome back and it's the Saga of the Phoenix review section of this particular director series and uh, we'll talk of two cast members, one who's very very evident and uh, kind of a star of the film and one that is not but is very 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 legendary so uh, we'll, uh, keep, uh, we'll keep that under wraps if you don't know so first of all Tom, Tom is here to talk, talk a little bit about the Co-star, the leading lady of the first movie, Gloria Yip, who's more of the leading lady in Saga of the Phoenix. So, go ahead. Uh, Yep, Gloria Yip, born January 13th, 1973 in Hong Kong. She's worked with our boy Nam No Choi four times throughout her career. Uh, Two films we're discussing tonight, and appearances in films we'll be getting to shortly, Rikio and the Cats. Like, you know, three quarters of actors and actresses out of Hong Kong, she's also a singer and also fluent in four languages. Starting her career off in the late 80s, very young, she appeared in television commercials and appeared in a couple of plays before a brief dip in TV, and then on to her first role, the less than a minute of screen time appearance as Judy in Clifton Coe's, one of David's favourites, Chicken yeah. and Duck Talk. <laughs> She's often played uh, cute comedic roles and was actually only 15 when she appeared in Peacock King in, um, in 1990's Demoness from Thousand Years. She's billed as a starring role in a lot of promotional material, even though she's frozen throughout the course of the film. Hmm. And funnily enough, uh, played Andy Lau's 12-year-old sister <laughs> in Saviour of the Soul uh, at the tender age of 18. Uh, after appearance in films as polarizing as Jackie Chan's Miracles and the Xing Fu starring vehicle Blue G Monster, she retired in 1994 after appearing in the fifth, fifth Gods Must Be Crazy film. Uh, and as the old tradition goes, settled down with a businessman husband, had a daughter and got big into arts and crafts, even appearing on TV to show off her embroidery skills, such as a knit-year jumper. Uh, after a bit of scandal at the start of the millennium regarding the breakup from her husband concerning his uh, extramarital shenanigans and the ensuing publicity, she returned to the screen in more dramatic offerings such as horror films Death Melody and A Jealous Sister, and also reunited with Nam Nai Choi co-stars Fan Su Wong and Christine Ung for a television miniseries in 2004. She also graduated from Hong Kong Art School in 2008, completing a thesis on porcelain entitled Materialism. So, an interesting lady. If I'm not mistaken, she was in a movie with Yun Biu in around about 2004, uh, uh, Boxer's Story, which uh, was a rather minor movie. might have been shot on video, but uh, regardless, it starred Yun Biu and uh, Gloria Yip in 2004. So. Oh, as well, I missed. Yeah, got together with uh, Yun Biu again. Uh, not an actress I remember from really anything aside from the Nam Nai Choi movies. You know, I never had anything against her. Never like, you know, you know, made my day as, as such. You know, wow, <laughs> because she yeah. never were. You know, she she never really uh, did such movies. You know, uh, or got a chance to, you know, be be like a dramatic actress if she ever ever considered it. You know, during that short career. But uh, you know, for if anything, Blue Jean Monster, everyone should check out for 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 the rare sight of Ching Fuyan. In a starring vehicle, playing playing the cop that dies that comes back to <laughs> make sure his uh, well, well to get revenge obviously, but make sure his uh, wife gives birth to their uh, child. I think the wife might have been Pauline Wong to be honest, and uh, it's a really clever, gruesome, just crazy film, you know. And uh, and uh, she's in it. I think she was kind of a ditzy, annoying comedic presence in the film, but you know, a classic film in its own right, an underrated film. So, uh, you know, aside from the Namai Choi m- movies to check out, which is mainly the cat, in, uh, if I were to recommend anyone, uh, check out Blue Jean Monster as well. Uh, so th- that's all I have on Gloria, uh, personally, you know. 
uh, moving on to uh, the legend, which is, again, we, we're dealing with Japanese Hong Kong co-production and they brought in Japanese talents and they brought in, you know, none other than Shintaro Katsu, which um, uh, Tommy's here to tell us about. First of all, John Jung, don't kill me for butchering this up. This is the best I could do, okay? <laughs> okay? <laughs> so, well, I'll just log on to uh, Katsu's HKMDB and... Uh, oh, he's only appeared in two films. Legend! Okay, so not a lot to say about him. Uh, some Japanese dude or something. And he produced a film. <laughs> uh, I'm only jesting. A prolific, <laughs> prolific Japanese actor, singer, producer and director... Shinto Akatsu was, was born in 1931, the younger brother of Lone Wolf and Cub star Tomisaburu Wakayama. He's probably most famous for playing the lead role in the Zatoichi series, Zatoichi, Zatoichi series, which took up a large chunk, nearly 30 years span of his career. Um, he played the character 25 times throughout most of the 60s and early 70s. He also directed himself in 1989 for a one-off return film and from there played the role in four seasons of a spin-off TV show. Uh, and faced he... off against a one-armed swordsman. It clashed with Hong Kong cinema, if you will, or Taiwanese oh, yeah. cinema. You know, Satoichi, I think it was that, wasn't it? Uh, Satoichi versus the one-armed swordsman. And even Satoichi and Jojimbo was in one movie together. But they, they So he got to star against Toshiro Mifune. But they, it wasn't like a versus film or anything as such. But uh, it was rather meets <laughs> rather than versus. <laughs> <So>, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, he can also be considered somewhat of a figurehead of the time for helping to push the limits of sex and violence in Japanese film and television by mm. forming Katsu Productions, the uh, the production house created after the close of Dai Studios or Dai Studios. A lot of the films created at the time were not initially artistically appreciated, but now are seen as having significant influence on modern Japanese cinema. Uh, aside from producing the Lone Wolf and Cub series, Katsu is also responsible for the popular police drama Superintendent K, which he starred in, co-wrote, directed, and produced, and the exploitation slash period drama series, literally slash, Hands of the Razor, uh, said to have somewhat of a troubled career. He was arrested many times for drug-related charges and managed to lose advertising campaigns and lead roles in, notably, Akira Kosawa's Kagemusha and Ridley Scott's Black Rain, the former which he left after the first day of filming down to a personality clash with the legendary director. But most notably, Katsu wanted to film Kurosawa at work to use in teaching his acting students, which the director took offence with. Um, unfortunately, dying in, in 1997 from uh, Farnegeal cancer, uh, affairs, gambling debts, and the accidental killing with stuntman by Katsu's son on the set of one of his productions cannot tarnish the depth and, and length of the filmography of a man who could not be who, you know could be considered at one point in time a powerhouse in Japanese cinema. Uh, and on a side note, Saga of the Phoenix was his second to last role before retiring. And the retiring role was uh, the last Satoichi movie he made, if I'm not mistaken. I think the, that was his last movie, if, uh, but or one of his last, anyway. So. Uh, because that, that was in 1989 as well. Uh, or rather, this was 1990, so forget about that. The tail end of his career, anyway. Uh, I, 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 the little I've seen of Shintaro Katsu, I mean, it's so easy to, to become a fan. And uh, what, one movie that um, probably made me a fan of his was watching uh, Hideo Gosha's Hitokiri. The some very gory samurai drama from 1969, absolutely fantastic. Uh, really, a drama too. You know, he's a he's on fire in that one. Such a big presence because Shintaro Katsu was big and loud and you know intimidating too. You know, to an extent as well. And he has he has like a low 
low samurai who just wants to get ahead and kill and kill he can and it's a really it's not samurai assassin or lone wolf and cub style gory but damn close as well and uh, I, I also saw him in um, in the hands of a racer trilogy <laughs> which is <laughs> it's a uh, it, it, exploitation samurai movie that that that's for sure i mean what some of the set pieces in that one involves him he, he's a police officer and uh, he uh, he rapes his way to information you know and uh and he has a yeah yeah absolutely it's rape in a (laughs) and and, but it's rape in a more amusing way because uh, they they play these sequences for comedy really because uh hands of a race has a you you know might as well say he's a he has a he has a big cock and uh and he uh what what is the famous sequence in the first one he traps this girl in this uh, net and spins her while lying on the ground having sex with her and it's it goes from rape to pleasure and then she gives him the information he wants you know it's fun rape is fun in this movie it and and you know these sequences in kung fu movies where they're like uh, where, where they train like their hands in like in the chinese boxer where they like punch you know gravel or stone or what have you yeah they have similar sequences here, only involving Hans of a racist penis. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You, you know, God bless Japanese cinema oh, of this God. time. You know, all, you know, no limits whatsoever. You know, beautifully shot movies, but making them outrageous at the same time. You know, and Hans of a Racer, it it got more serious as the series went on. Only three movies. The first one is just balls out insane, and uh, yeah, good fun. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, but I've, I've not seen the Lone Wolf and Cup movies. I've only seen two of them edited together as Shogun Assassin. Oh, yeah. You know, speaking of yeah. his brother, you know, absolutely fantastic stuff. Uh, so you know, so, sometime I will watch uh, you know uh, the, the actual series. But uh, you know, his brother was uh, you know big and intimidating as well. You know, fantastic look. So uh, yep. you know, good cinematic faces, if you will. Uh, but but anyway. Moving on to the plot of the Saga of the Phoenix, uh, Hell Virgin Ashura, again played by Gloria Yip, is granted permission to live on Earth for seven days by Shintaro Katsu's uh, character, if she promises not to cause Armageddon while she's there. <laughs> uh, following her for protection are Monks Peacock, again played by Yumbyu, and Lucky Fruit, played by Abe Hiroshi, a new actor playing uh, Lucky Fruit. They replaced the former actor, every other actor in the movie, uh, in Peacock King. Uh, Abe Hiroshi is a model and actor and uh, still active, in, including in uh, the 2012 uh, Japanese movie Ferme Rome, if that's how you pronounce it. You got a good review on Love HK film the other day, so uh, still looks the same, you know. Uh, model and actor, obviously, they don't change. <laughs> uh, Back to the plot, uh, uh, Hell Virgin accepts and tries to enjoy her remaining time, but Hell Concubine, played by Naisuet, has other plans. Enter Ashura's best friend, Genie, which is a puppet and stop-motion animation creation, looking like a mix between a mogwai and a gremlin with piercings. It's hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Enter Shura's best friend, uh, Jeannie, and uh, friendship also happens along the way with Loletta Lee's character and her Doc Brown like brother looking like Billy Lau and Eric Tsang in one. I thought it was Billy Lau. 
So did I. It's yeah, an actor called Lawrence Lau, which is not Lawrence Lau, the director of Spacked Out and My Name Is Fame, but uh, it's uh, it's a Billy Lau esque image, you know. And he mm. he he's kind of Doc Brown because he's invented a time machine teleporter kind of thing. Um, very primitive, it looks like, but that's what he's invented, <laughs> and uh, that's the main plot, if you will. Uh, so. First off, uh, we we gotta mention first. It's a co-directed movie between Nam Night Choi and Lao Shut Yue, who is no stranger to supernatural comedic shenanigans, high on Hong Kong style special effects, because he's the man behind the Wong Jing produced My Neighbors Are Phantoms, which is a fantastic uh, fun movie featuring the best Charlie Cho scene ever. Not in a Category Three movie. He he plays a peeper. Obviously, and it has a high-tech peeping setup, including RC helicopters, and uh, it's just absolutely balls out insane. Best Charlie Show scene ever. <laughs> it doesn't belong in the movie, but man, is it funny. He tries to peep uh, Ching Miao and uh, her and uh, her sister, what have you, uh, because it's a Wong Jing produced movie. Ching Miao is in it, but it's a great movie. My neighbors are phantoms. Such great fun, and gruesome fun, and uh, creative fun. It has good special effects. So. Uh, that I wanted to throw that in there because it's uh, it can easily f- be forgotten if you will, and it's not the first time Nam Nai Choi is co-directed. Going back to the first movie, he co-directed that with uh, Danny Lee, uh, one way only. So, yeah. uh, so I'll uh, hand it over to David for his uh, first brief opinion of Saga of the Phoenix. Uh, it's a better film for me than uh, Peacock King, and uh, due in uh, no small uh, way to its uh, much more consistent. Um, uh, tone. Um, there's still a uh, you know considerable amount of uh, of comedy here and uh, of lightness, but it feels uh, integrated uh, into the uh, into the storyline rather than maybe just kind of tacked on due to the uh, demands of the market. So yeah, for me, uh, a better film than the first. Right on. And what about you, Tom? Uh, I think it'd be totally on the opposite end of the spectrum than <laughs> you guys. Uh, it's a first time watch for me. And I, I just feel it's a rushed, messy sequel with no strong setup and a real lack of energy. I was so fucking bored for long stretches of this. Um, again, and it's like I feel with a lot of Hong Kong films that aren't great, it hasn't got anything overtly offensive or terrible about it. It's just plain, uninspired, and just a series of scenes put together for me personally. I, I did not like this one at all. I'm kind of surprised that you didn't extract uh, some energetic special effects stuff out of it, or maybe you did as well, uh, as well, a, a little bit. But uh, we, we'll we'll run through the, the discussion and see uh, see if there's anything. Uh, I I like it better. I'm with David on this one. So fuck you, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you guys. <laughs> because this is how we do it on the podcast on Fire Network. Like, you know, if there's two against one, then that's how you discuss things. No, that's no, no, no. gang rape, Ken, and that's against the law. So whatever. Is is oral, <laughs> so to say, audio gang rape? Hello. <laughs> uh, anyway. uh, yes. Okay. Good. Good. Let's do it. <laughs> but I, I do like it. I find it has uh, plenty of uh, plenty of special effects energy, which I'm looking for in, in the case of this these movies, and I like the downtime in between. I'm weak for genie. I gotta say, I like yeah. genie. Oh, <laughs> but, yeah. but it's a make or break aspect of the movie. I Fuck know that. Genie, man. <laughs> 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 but uh, the start of the movie, it's an odd edit here because they open with five seconds of the first movie just re- just so you remember a scene out of it. You know, they open with the first scene from Peacock King for five seconds, and then credits! 
<laughs> Remember this crit. <laughs> no, so we barely have time to. Is that? Oh, oh, oh! It's to Beth now. Okay. So it, and, and and to be honest, it doesn't start very well because it feels kind of desperate and low budget, looking at the first monster encounter alone with guys in monster suits and the energy is really sluggish. You know it. Yep. I mean, oh boy, oh no, no, no. But for me, matters improved despite being, you know, in reality, it's an on and off movie. Yeah, but uh, you know, it, it it still has it, it still has a a better mix for me in terms of special effects and downtime. And and I I like, you know, for instance, the scene set in hell, you know, with hell concubine and the minions and uh, the surroundings. The hell surroundings look good in their simplicity because these are not expansive sets they are very small sets lit in dark not lit in darkness they're, you know it's a, it's a black set lit in blue and black and uh, and and kind of you know uh you know that, that kind of works for me i just find that kind of uh, great you know and 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 you has some fast-paced laser war down there you know the special effects battles if you will and uh, i you know I don't mind the conflict between, you know, dark and light, and again, good and evil. Not, nothing to write home about. It. It's there, and and then you come to a point in a movie which I don't mind, and maybe some would, where you find out that Yumbu uh, is merely a supporting actor in this one. He stays frozen for most of the movie, and uh, I guess that's a point where I gotta ask you guys or let you, David, uh, do whatever notes you want uh, and include if you think that was a bad choice or not to uh, freeze Yumbu and focus on all the other stuff. I, I didn't, mi- didn't mind it so much. Um, well, um, you know, what was made this a better film? I mean, obviously, you know, he would have been great to have him, you know, sort of in a lot more of the film, but it was definitely um, the, you know, they definitely got it to this film much more consistent and it feels like a single uh single sort of piece rather than lots of you know the kind of little kind of uh kind of parts kind of put together um mm-hmm. and uh you know not everything works um you know like you're saying there's you know some some stuff doesn't kind of it it, it i get more definitely get more of a uh sort of a name choy kind of vibe from this than from the first film mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you say like you're saying it's you know it's a co-directed uh, film, but I I do get more of a more of that kind of fi- you know, feel from it. Um, so you know, I'm guessing you know maybe uh, you know him and his uh, co-director were on uh, were on the same page, so it kind of uh, you know kind of helped in that respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, moving on to you, Tom. Whatever else do you want to um, uh, bring to us next in terms of what you disliked? Where the fuck was Yumbu for half the movie? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, I mean, looking frozen. at the 1990, Tom, let's see what he could have been doing instead. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, was he busy? I mean, it was a busy actor. I'm, uh, busy actor. I'm kind of curious. You know, so I got to feel his license to steal Shanghai, Shanghai. Maybe in pre-production or re- or rehearsal yeah. on Once Upon a Time in China. Very Who true. knows? Very <laughs> true. You never true. know because that, that, that's always a kind of a solution. How the fuck did we get some someone out of this? While they, while schedule conflicts are, are trying to be resolved, you know. Mm, Freeze him! <laughs> I mean, he's probably, I think, bad choice of the film. It, it should have been Lucky Fruit. I think Yumbu would have slipped into his role and do what his character does for the plot 
with more charisma and energy, and it felt more like what Yumbu's character would do in that situation than Lucky Fruit. You know, like with the girls, you know, frolicking around a swimming pool. It feels like his character would be more kind of in line with those actions. But he's so handsome, Tom. He's so handsome, Abe Hiroshi. It's a dreamboat, isn't he? He's a he's a he's a he's a he's a he's a, he's a handsome lad. But I just no, I just didn't get into He's tall guy. too. I just didn't. I didn't connect with the lad. Like there's no kind of charisma, you know, outgoing charisma there or energy for me. It was more like I want to really see you know Yumbu in the role. And yeah, I was kind of kind of disappointed. And that was really when the film I kind of wasn't on board. And then that's when the film lost me. I was like, you know. Forget this. I'm, I'm really not enjoying it, to be honest. Um, but I think the the guy, the, the imp in general, the little imp. Uh, the scene when he's getting tortured is it is is in such bad taste. Like, are we supposed to laugh or are we supposed to feel sorry for the creature? You it, know, it, it, just... it's one of the skits, to be honest, and, uh, yes. and, and 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 do set it up a little bit, if you will, Tom, if you remember. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously we got a dog brown character. He, uh, you know, obviously, he comes around his house. He's eating all his food. He's like, "I'm not having this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna torture him." Uh, he first puts him in a washing machine, and then puts him in the cooker, uh, all while he's kind of laughing madly. Uh, <laughs> if I wanted to see a cackling nerd get thrills from a wet pinkish monster, I'd go to a budget strip club. To be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> I did not want to see this, and I just didn't know how to feel. Like there's some weird kind of menacing music to it. It's like I didn't want to see the guy. I didn't like the guy. I mean, I didn't like the monster. I mean, I thought he was a bit, he was a bit of a prick. But I didn't want to get him all, you know, see him get wet, and get tortured, and it's like it's it's the next scene. He's okay, and there's no kind of. You know, the retaliation is great, though. <laughs> the rather yeah, mild yeah, it's, retaliation. It's, funny. It, it's a good. It's kind of. It's a nice effect, and it and it looks. It looks good. Obviously, that's when his character kind of takes a different turn. Yeah, but, but, but it's so dumb. It's so mild, though. I didn't like the retaliation. I would have loved, you know, for Genie to just transform into a fucking monster and scare the shit out of him. But he shaves off with his eyebrow. <laughs> I like that. And then, like, oh, wow, yeah, fuck you. You know, I got you now. <laughs> After you, like, so childish. Um, but yeah, yeah, I just, I, I didn't, I think, did you guys get the sense it was more aimed at a commercial kind of kiddie feel than it was, the the previous film was? Which yeah. I kind of felt, it was more kind of trying to appeal to the kids with having this little kind of monster there. Yeah, I, I agree, but it, it he, he turns scary, though the monster yeah, turns yeah, really yeah. fucking scary, and he looks, looks kind of freaky too, so, but, you know, intent, yeah, I don't think the design is necessarily very kid-friendly, it doesn't, it looks more like a gremlin than a mogwai, if you will, which yeah. is my, like, comparison. Yeah, the, yeah, it kind of put me in mind slightly of that, um, I don't know if you guys remember these movies, like, slightly, well, I suppose, relatively obscure, the, the ghoulish films. Do you remember Ghoulies. those? Oh, Ghoulies, yeah. There's uh, like, there's no, like, by name only, but no details. No. Yeah, um, there's at least three of those. The, the third one of which is called uh, Ghoulies Go to College. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, Scary. It, it, it's the same kind of thing. It's, you know, like these little kind of monsters and like do stupid shit. I'll just say, I just, look, it's like a green baby coming out of the toilet. So I think you'll be into that, Ken. You just have a look at that. Right on. <laughs> it's a... Uh, the first, because I remember the first one was comparatively serious. Um, the second one was like set in a um, kind of like a, you know, 
you know, a carnival kind of, you know, amusement sort of arcade type of a funfair sort of deal. It's kind of weird. And uh, Ooh, bloody... they look sweet. I'm looking at them now. Yeah. <laughs> and Two of them. <laughs> and they had a theme song by bloody uh, Wasp, uh, all people. And, <laughs> and, the, and the third... Um, and the third film, yeah, well, I didn't remember that one much at all, but it kind of looked a bit like one of those, you know. But, you know a bit oh, what an amazing and... tagline, I'm bored, pardon me, David. Ghoulies 2, they'll get you in the end. Again. There's actually, <laughs> there's actually a fourth as well. Is there a fourth? Oh, fourth well, yeah. 1994, I think it must be directed yeah. thing. Why have I never heard of these films? Looks sweet, man. Let's watch yeah. those, let's fuck this, man. <laughs> let's watch those. Let's drop this shit now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at least there's something uh, good coming coming out of this podcast for you, Tom. And <laughs> yes, Ghoulies here I come. But, but you know what? Uh, going back to now, it would seem I, I I had a serious thought about this. It would seem, looking at this movie, that the Nam to- touch because it was so great before seems to be fading. But at the same time, it can't be as terrific as in Seven Cars. And 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 I think looking at the subsequent films, especially the Cat, the the, the touch never faded. Because I think it depends on investment in the material, mm-hmm. uh, the conditions of the production, which might have been no, no, not n- not as smooth as Seventh Curse seemingly was. It showed up on screen how you know ev- everything was essentially great in the Seventh Curse, and uh, and and yeah, and and it ended in the cat, which is you know everything combined, special effects wise, sci- sci-fi wise, B movie wise, if you will, that is Nam Night Cho. You know, show one movie that. You want uh, to represent that name? It's the cat for me. So, so, so I don't think it's uh, it's um, it, it's a case of it fading. It's just um, you know it, it can be on and off as well. You know, you can't be great all the time. Not yeah. all filmmakers are great all the time because that would be nearly impossible. Yeah, I think it's kind of you know with these films maybe he was sort of he kind of yeah uh, he, he you know did what he kind of had to do for the you know for the productions and for the you know the producers and all that kind of thing. So maybe it wasn't so much kind of. You know, it wasn't invested so much in them, you know, mm-hmm. sort of personally, you know, they were more sort of, you know, more of sort of, uh, more kind of for the, you know, for the market or for different markets and, you know, they, you know, he, he, he was still, there's nothing, um, he's fine, you know, he's fine, he does a fine job, but maybe he didn't, he sort of, he didn't feel them as much as he did something like, you know, like Her Vengeance, you know, mm-hmm. or Seventh Coast, he, he didn't sort of, they didn't necessarily sort of get him going and get him sort of really, uh, really sort of uh, as excited, maybe. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. Evident. It feels diluted. Yeah, it feels diluted from like a, a regular kind of how a Nam Nitro film would feel to me. It feels kind of diluted. There's bits and pieces of him here and there, kind of his, his characters and the way he kind of directs and the, his touches, you know, with the visual stuff. But it, it does. It feels like someone else's film. Yeah, and 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 yeah, you you would you would think. Uh, thinking about it now that I'm, I'm kind of fascinated about it and it's a shame it's not documented well enough but looking at so much evidence uh, in his special effects films that he, he was really you know a hands-on director in terms of working with this with the effects team because it turned up so so much in his movies and 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 i think some of the stuff in here is really really cool uh ending the genie discussion if you will two things when hell concubine turns him into evil genie Fuck, he looks scary, man. I actually thought that genie looked very scary. And uh, but uh, you know, starting with with uh, again on the theme of toilets in terms of ghoulies, he flushes himself <laughs> to hell. Yeah. Genie flushes himself to hell, which was you know, oh, 
How convenient. <laughs> <laughs> was, was, that, we, was, was that before or after the farting bit? Was that... uh, I don't remember, actually, <laughs> but I remember the farting bit, of course. But, cool. uh, but, but the very end, where, when Yu Mew comes back, you know, th there's some great energy here, but very frequent laser blasting, if you will, which happens, you know, almost in shot, you know, pum, pum, pum. And, and it's it obviously superimposed effects afterwards. And I, I like that it they it was really, you know, quick and uh, and uh, several of that stuff in one shot. You know, obviously actors are only miming it. But I kind of like that. And, uh, and the merging of Hell Concubine into King Satan towards the end. That was a rather impressive effect, I thought, uh, when, uh, when her face is essentially on uh, the forehead of that big King Satan. I thought that was a... Again, a great mix of, of, of um, kind of a transformation scenes that we've seen in Am Night Choi movies. So I I like that, and it it's not throughout the movie all of this, but when it is there, I guess it kind of speaks to me personally that I'm weak for Hong Kong fantasy, Hong Kong insanity, battle between supernatural forces, whenever it appears. You know, even if it's only for a few minutes in a movie, uh, which is kind of not a good stars of a critic but you know that's just how it makes me feel you know uh, so it pokes me up and uh, and and it's okay not the strongest Nam Night Choi movie obviously and uh, and uh, if anything you should go out and probably watch a ghoulies movie or watch my name is a <laughs> phantoms if you can because that's just fantastic fun Wong Jing stuff merged with great special effects a gooey special effects there's a scene where the vampire family which uh they put a spell on the other people and uh, they invite them for dinner and they think they're eating hamburgers, but in reality they're eating pulsating gory brains, which is great stuff. <laughs> nice, and nice. Uh, it looks good too. So so uh, I recommend that too. But uh, that's the end of my notes. Um, you gentlemen, anything else you want to add? Tom, any more hatred? Lay it on us. Don't hold uh, it in. <laughs> I've just, well, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I mean, if Dave wants to go, I've just got kind of a summing up kind of line now, so if Dave's got any more kind of extra notes on top. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, um, they replace you know several cast members I think for this uh, for this sequel, but uh, um, performances are still are still solid and uh, if ultimately any more plus points in this than in the first, there are less uh, negatives I think. Um, I think it's it is that consistency that is the key. It's still not a major work, but the consistency of it uh, does help it. And I think that's um, that's why, for me, it is marginally better than uh, the first film. Well, well, I mean, for for me, it's like if I don't know, if, if Peacock King was a jigsaw and some three-year-olds put it together, like a second-hand copy of it with missing pieces and staying <laughs> corners, the same shit's there, but it's just been placed together with no logic or scope of the bigger picture, which is exactly what I feel this film is. It, it's just. I mean, it was just a poor film, and, bear, and bearing in mind that you obviously no one seems to have seen Three Stooges go undercover, including us, but I can say this is definitely one of, if not the worst film that Nature directed. I, I will say, personally, for me, without hesitation, I mean, even One Way Only, which lacked focus, or Ghost Snatches, which was a bit too silly for its own good at times, it's still, they, both of those two still contain one or two great moments. This film, for me, had absolutely nothing I thought was even slightly kind of extraordinary or anything that I thought was, you know, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's damn entertaining. Nothing. It was just kind of really slow for me. Didn't pick up in general, you know, it, it, for the whole kind of runtime. It was more just the kind of a straight flat road and 
I think it was a shame. I think it makes the first one look a, a lot better than it actually is. That's uh, that pretty much has done. I mean, I mean, a really interesting discussion, though. I mean, it's great to finally, I guess, have some really conflicting opinions, and that's uh, that's the sign of a filmography kind of being interesting too, uh, and ver- and versatile, even though you don't want crap on your filmography necessarily but uh, I'm, I'm glad that there's some different views and not just love 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 and, and i knew these movies were necessarily not the uh, uh because i i didn't like love them or anything i knew these movies were kind of make or break movies for in i'm not choice of filmography uh so um free studios go on the cover if we ever get to see that maybe <laughs> that's a make or break movie maybe it's uneven as hell and boring and annoying who knows but uh yeah that's uh, nothing we can't concern ourselves with uh, currently, but what we will concern ourselves with, and finally, finally I will be in my element next time, finally, 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 the merging <laughs> of uh, this week in Sleaze and uh, the director's series finally will happen next time, because next episode is a double bill of erotic ghost story, the first one, Namai Cho shot and... Uh, directed, starring Amy Yip and some Japanese uh, uh, talent and uh, and uh, tits, lots of tits. And and, and and I'm gonna also uh, rewatch to make sure I'm not wrong about this rewatch, uh, which is of Eastwick, to see if my memory is yeah. that the ending of Erotic Ghost Story channels quite heavily, which is of Eastwick, but in a good way. I remember it was. I had heard that, yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm gonna rewatch that. I haven't seen that in a dog sage. So you know, it's it's gonna be fun. That's kind of, it's patented after the Witches of Eastwick in a uh, overall, actually. Uh, now that I think of it, uh, but uh, and it's an infuriating watch to erotic ghost story. If you really want to watch Amy Yip's uh, breasts, you just like any other movie. You can't, but this is the most infuriating movie because it's it's oh, the yipties all over the fucking movie. You know, I always say like uh, the way the dialogue would go when you watch this movie. It's like come, come on, turn, turn, turn a little bit more, little bit more, turn around <laughs> because it's so it, it's so great in that regard. You know, and almost like Nam Nai Choi and Amy Yip like sat down together. Okay. You know I can't show you know my 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 full bits if you will, but now I know that. God. Let's let's make the audience really really angry about that fact. Let's have fun. <laughs> and they did. Just off and watch porn for God's sake. <laughs> but uh, we're doing that. Uh, it's a uh, category free time again. I mean, her vengeance was category free, and uh, we're also doing story of Ricky. Uh, finally, so to say, and uh, we will be um, it'll be some talk of uh, of the original. Anime and manga was based on as well. So, um, and therefore, that means the final episode will be dedicated solely to my favorite Nam Like Choi movie, The Cat. So, uh, we we are at the tail end of it now. In 1990 was the erotic the ghost tail story. End of the cat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, and erotic ghost story 1990. Then we'll jump to 1992 with story of Ricky and stay in 1992 with the cat. And then it's unfortunately over. But uh, what a way to go out! That's uh, pretty much it for tonight. We'll uh, do some brief contact information and then say our byes. So, you've been listening to the director series on the Podcast on Fire Network website, podcastonfire.com. Email podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Message forum, podcastonfire.com forward slash forum. The old members only archive is there. We'll also post bonus episodes on the website, only available on the website, nor on, not on Stitcher or iTunes. 
uh, Facebook, like our page, facebook.com forward slash POF Network, and join the discussion going on in the discussion group. Just search Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search box. I do my writing and my video reviewing of these kind of movies, in hip type movies, on SoGoodReviews.com and SleazyKVideo.com and follow those uh, exploits, watching exploitation, if you will, on Twitter.com forward slash SoGoodReviews. And subscribe to the entire podcast on network, podcast on Fire Network on iTunes, and also stream us on the application Stitcher. So when, once you've downloaded that to either your computer or your smartphone, just type in Podcast on Fire Network and you can add each individual show. And in general, Hong Kong Gig Guy, what's that about? Yeah, um, I've, you know, I keep doing the updates regularly, and uh, obviously, you know, by the time people are listening to this, there have been, uh, you know, lots of tales of what I got up to when I was in Hong Kong. So, if you want to stop by and uh, check those out, that'd be fun. Cool. And again, Tom KW has a review archive over at thecinemashow.com, home of the V Cinema uh, podcast, of course, and uh, lots and lots of reviewers, great reviewers, including Tom. Check it out, babies. Yes. Uh, okay, direct the series on the Peacock King and Saga the Phoenix done. Next time, tits. <laughs> <laughs> and they ran, they ran out of the room. I can do that by myself, so fuck you guys. Okay, this is uh, Ken Cast on direct the series now. And they have half, t- ten hours on, like, turn around, Amy Hip, I wanna see! <laughs> Un- uncut, you know. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's next time. So, I've been your host, Kenobi, and with me was my my, my lovely co-hosts, uh, Hong Kong Dave. Bye. And Tom KW. Bye, everyone. Who's gotten some frustration out of his system now. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>